moment of silence. For the sick and suffering. For the sick and suffering. In this room. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's actually to get the room noise so I can do a noise reduction later. But while we're at it, let's keep in mind the, the sick and suffering in this room and now. Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Sam. Done. I'm I'm still buzzing from yesterday. Well, I was about to say it feels like I just saw you yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we so, we were at the pre-convention, pre-conference, pre-conference uh, for Area 51, no less. Yes, we are in Area 51, folks. <laughs> All right, that's okay. We're uh, anonymity is for I learned yesterday for members of AA. Not for AA itself. That's right. That was said in our little mm-hmm. breakout meeting. Yeah, I really, I learned a lot of that, and that's that's part of why I'm buzzing. Now, was that your first pre-conference? It was. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so it was the delegate that's going to the... General Service Conference. The General Service Conference was collecting information from all the people in the different districts, which are the... and. All the districts make up an area, and so this area, all the districts gathered together, the GSRs and anyone else who wanted to come, right. and gave feedback on all the topics of what's going to be discussed at the national conference. Correct. That, that, that's really it in a nutshell. Um, it's not the national conference because it includes Canada, too. So uh-huh. it's the North American Conference. North American Conference. Um, but that's exactly it. And ours was one of four uh, pre-conferences here in North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina is Area 51, General Service Area 51 in the North American continent. Uh, and we had the central pre-conference yesterday, which was 13 districts of AA in the middle of North Carolina. Earlier, I think, was the Eastern Conference, and I think uh, next weekend is the Western Conference. The fourth conference, uh, I mean, uh, pre-conference, is the Linguistic Districts Conference, where the members of the Spanish Linguistic District come together, and they have their pre-conference so that the delegate is also informed of the Spanish District's thoughts on the agenda items. So the delegate's going to uh, go to all of those. Correct. And- and is gathering information from all of those. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It is. And, uh, you know, this is part of general service. And uh, I love the way my service sponsor uh, explained general service to me. Direct service is where one alcoholic is helping another. One-on-one service. General service is what makes direct service possible. Without general service, we wouldn't have websites telling people when meetings are or making announcements and such. We wouldn't have printed meeting schedules. We would not have a big book. We would not have the pamphlets. There's so many things that are done because of general service that are in the service of members of Alcoholics Anonymous so that as members, we can do direct service, and that's help other alcoholics. 
That's right. Well, yeah, and then there's the service that I got the most out of yesterday, which was the cake. I um, knew that was coming. It, it was the the I, it was carrot cake with uh, coconut, and I don't know if I'm still buzzing from the carrot cake with the coconut, or whether it was the peach pie. You're being mean right now, Don. Or perhaps it was the green donuts. So I, I got to tell you that I shot a video of that ridiculously long dessert table. Oh, wow. Popped that up on Instagram with the decidedly not Whole30 tag going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're I, on I'm, a I'm diet. on day 18 of 30 days of eating not that crap. <laughs> and yesterday was just a little tough. Fortunately, I lived very close to the venue, and I ran home and ate some, some compliant lunch. <laughs> And then came back. And Best idea is to conference. get out of there. I well, I think I did the whole thirty when I was there. I mean, I didn't do the whole thing, but I did have thirty different <laughs> desserts. But they were in moderation, right? Oh, in moderation, of course. <laughs> oh, sir, of course it was. I am Mr. Moderation. Indeed, you are. Moderation. You are is an my enthusiast middle. of moderation. I am enthusiastically moderate. <laughs> We have a guest today, and I'm really excited because Steve asked me to sponsor him a while back, and I've been a sponsor for a while. Introduce yourself. I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic. Steve, welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club. Glad you're here. You got a coffee? I do have a coffee. It's a tasty one, too. It, it is. <laughs> it's better than those I have in the meeting. A.A. <laughs> <laughs> Rock Gut Coffee. <laughs> you know, it's... Getting harder and harder to find a bad cup of coffee, but you can still find one in an AA meeting. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few that tasted like they were brewed through a paper towel, and yeah. I think they were. I think they were. <laughs> they frequently are a little crunchy, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm glad it's there. That's good coffee. That coffee at the AA meeting... Did, it, did anyone ever uh, serve you a cup of coffee when you first came in and serve you half a cup? No, but I know where you're going. That happened with me. A that, guy guy did it, and I was, he went and got, he said, you want some coffee? And, he, and I said, yeah, and he brought it back, and he uh, had a, it was a little styrofoam cup, and as he was bringing it back, I was going, oh my goodness, everybody's going to be looking at me, and I got to raise this thing, and it's going to, I'm going to shake, and it's going to spill and he brought me back half a cup. Very thoughtful. Absolutely. That's the way people are. <laughs> they just put a lid on mine. <laughs> a little sippy cup. <laughs> they still put a lid on mine. <laughs> well, Steve, when did you get sober? Huh? There's been some controversy before we got started here. And we know it definitely wasn't the 9th. It wasn't the 9th, but it was on the 10th day of December in 2007. That's a good day. It was not such a good day. <laughs> I was feeling pretty rough yeah, at the time, but it's a good day now to remember. That Was that the day that the last day, that was the day that you surrendered and you've been sober ever since that That was day. the day I picked up my start over chip. What year was that? 2007. And what year was the first year that you came into AA? 1999. 
I know you came in because I watched you come in and pick up a start over chip and then disappear. It wasn't just one. There was one. I picked up quite a few. I have a cup full of them at home to remind me of how difficult it was for me to get sober. How many did you pick up, you think? I have 14 that I've kept. I don't know if I had others that I mm-hmm. lost, but I do have 14 that 14. I have in my little cup and a lot of other colors in there, too. There was even one year chip that uh, was tarnished and started over again. So a lot of different colors in there, but only two yellow chips. Those nine-month chips, they're, they're hard to get. They're hard to get. Though you did have a year chip. Yep. So I had the yellow chip before the year and another yellow chip before this 10-year this run. Well, it, when you came in, were you... St- all those times, were you serious about quitting? I thought so. I'm sure you were. I was serious at that point. I was miserable, and, it, and that was the only reason I came in, because I wanted to feel better. Wh- and when you went out, you know, why did you just start drinking again? I got a case of what I call the fuckets. Mm-hmm. That happens to me when things don't go according to my plans. I get really frustrated. I get pissed off. I'm angry. Um, Need some relief. And just say, fuck it. Mm -hmm. That's what happens to me. I would bet that sometime in the past 10 years you've had some fuck it's, but you haven't picked up a drink now. That's true. And so it's kind of cool that you've, found another way to deal with the fuckets. I finally got to where I understood um, what it was like to start over and be at that bottom place, and I just never wanted to go there again. I knew I couldn't, not sure how to put it, I really struggled with getting sober and God and all those things and had a real hard time with it, but I knew that I was miserable and I didn't want to be that person anymore. Before many years, I, it took me several times, and uh, I wanted to get sober for my wife or my ex-wife. I wanted to get sober for my daughter. I wanted to get sober for my parents, and all of those reasons weren't enough. I needed to want to get sober because I was sick of myself and sick of the way I was and didn't want to be that person anymore and just didn't have a clue what it was like to live sober. So I was desperate. I had to get to that really desperate place, I think. I was I was not a happy camper. <laughs> I was angry, all of those things, but I had to get to that spot. But why did I not pick up again when the fuck it tip? Mm-hmm. I was started doing some things different. Um, I was praying, I was going to meetings a lot, playing the tape through, so to speak. I knew what would happen if I picked up again. I would be in jail. I would be, I would lose everything else that I had left. It would be gone. I was convinced that I could not control my drinking and drugging. I knew where it would take me. I get that. It took me a little while to get some traction at first. 
Guys, I've, I've got numerous start chips as well and a sprinkling of 30-day and 90-day stuff. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, I finally got some traction and got some time. But really having to deal with the fuckets, that's one of my bugbears too. I mean, I can get, well, let's just, yesterday I was heading to coffee before the meeting um, and my internet was not working properly at home. And it just pissed me off. Now, never mind the fact that I was about to leave the house and I didn't need it anyway. But I was just pissed off. And it was something little. And it still can get under my skin from time to time. And it, that's the type of thing that I totally would have just, you know, I would have been drunk over stuff like that. The, the stuff that really pushed me over the edge was usually around relationships. My ex-wife would really get under my skin when she would use my daughter and as a bargaining chip. She would uh, not allow me to see her and things like that. And I would get really angry anytime she would pull that and say I, could, I couldn't see my daughter or or I wasn't paying child support the right way, or I wasn't paying enough, and I was paying everything I thought I was supposed to pay at the time. But all those things were just sources of anxiety and anger. I'm hearing um, justified anger. Justified anger. That was it. And then when her uh, new husband came along, it was even worse because then he would say, well, you owe me this and that amount of money, for sending your daughter to private school. And I said, I didn't want to send her to private school. I thought public school was just fine. But anyway, it wasn't the things we were arguing over. It was the way I felt and felt less than and felt stupid and all those things and angry and that that really uncontrolled anger were the things that would push me out. And the only relief I knew was what I'd known for 20 years is get hammered and escape. Mm. So it didn't work anymore, though, and that's what I finally got to realize is it really doesn't work anymore. And reading in the big book really helped me with the sponsor. I always loved the part on, I think it's 62 and 63 pages in there where it talks about, I might have the pages wrong, but it's talking about the actor playing the director and how he wants everything to be just perfect. And if everything happened just that way, it would be fine. But it never did. Somebody would retaliate. Somebody would get pissed off and angry, and then you'd get worse. And that, so that was me. And then when that started happening after I got sober, I found a way to go, oh, there I go again, and, and laugh and, and think, I'm being that actor. And you know what? An actor is not the same as a director. So those kind of things started to help me a lot to recognize the way I was and my behavior and having a good sponsor to read with helped me a lot. So Yeah, getting getting awareness of character defects is a big deal. And and you know, for me it didn't happen immediately. It's like, yeah, when I went through my, my fourth step, when I did my fifth step with my sponsor and, and I got aware of those, sure, it was a, a, a moment of awakening of like, oh yeah, I do have that. 
but it didn't mean that I was not still prey to those things happening. Mm -hmm. So my character defects still would show up, but I would also recognize them, and I got to where I was able to recognize them sooner. Often after the fact, but then it got to where I was recognizing them when I was doing them, and then I, I, I got to a point where I was recognizing them when I was about to do them. And sometimes I chose to do it anyway, but sometimes I chose not to. That, that letting go of control is the biggest thing that we have to learn how to do, and it's the hardest thing to understand. I mean, I really had a hard time understanding, well, okay, you say, let go and trust God. What do you mean by that? I mean, I still have to live my life and I still have to work and I have to make plans. And how do I let go and make plans? And but and worse, how do I do this with other people? Because they don't do shit the way I want them to. And they don't <laughs> act right and they don't do what they should do to make everything happen. I mean, and, you know, I, I was listening to a guy new in AA and I could not put this idea across to him. Of I like the way that you went used the example that's in the big book of the actor on the stage trying to direct everything. He was upset with justifiable... He had justifiable anger for everyone in his life who... For everyone in his life, because everyone in his life was not living up to the standards that he thought everyone should live up to. And I suggested letting go of some of that. And he was going, well, you're saying I, sh- I shouldn't care what anybody does to me. I don't, I just don't care what anybody is at, what the, what it is. And I, it sounds like that, but no, that's not what it is. I couldn't put it across to him though. I, I couldn't find a way, I couldn't find a way that he could accept that we have to let go of expectations of other people and deal with what is. It's, it's kind of that, as an alcoholic, I'm really good at black or white. It's, it's one thing or the other. It's on or off. Yeah. And that's what I came in here with. The longer I have been doing this, the more I've gotten comfortable with gray. Because letting go really has it's 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 a it's a continuum. There is there is a scale in which my letting go happens. You know, if I go too far, then I'm in apathy. If I don't care, then that that's when I'm being apathetic, and that's that doesn't work for me. That's where where uh, lack of love kicks in. Yeah, it's it's still tricky. I mean, sometimes I think there are things that I used to care so much about, and just and I still care about them, like, for example, politics, but I can't have an effect on what's going on with politics. And the way that I used to live was just to stay in a rage because the world was so screwed up and it, the world should be different than it is. And as, I've, as I let go of all of that, Sometimes I wonder, well, is it just what I'm saying is I just don't care? But that's not it. I care. 
but it's a it's a gray area and it's like I want to apply my energy to places where I can be effective. And if I am applying my will against things where it's going to have no effect, it's a complete waste of my energy. And I spent my life drinking and raging and applying my will at things that I had no control over. Now I have tools to analyze what's going on in my life, filter down through all the, the different things and and see, well, do I really have enough? Can I really have an effect on this? Is there something I can do? Is there something I can change? I remember the first time somebody said, which part of the serenity prayer are you not using? <laughs> I really like that. So you can use the serenity prayer to, to analyze. Mm-hmm. Is there something I can change? And if there's not, something I can change. Then, then there's something I have to accept. Then there's something I've got to accept. Trying to figure, and sometimes it's hard to tell which is which, and that's where God is, is to help me make those decisions. And and ha- and how I do that is by talking to other people in AA. That's where God is, and coming to a decision. Acceptance is a big one. Um, my, one thing that helped me, too, was to recognize that if somebody invites me to an argument, I don't have to show up. I don't have to join in. And that part of somebody's pushing my buttons, I want to control the outcome and I get so angry. Well, let them push them. Let them push the buttons. And I don't have to convince them my way of thinking. I can let them say what they're going to say. And sometimes that's easier said than done, but... I don't mean to talk about my ex-wife, but just one more small instance when she was uh, telling me all the things she expected me to do in order for me to, I guess, be in her good graces. And she was expected this and that and the other. And I finally just said, maybe you just need to quit having expectations of me. said, I don't really want to argue about it anymore. And I quit. I gave up arguing. I don't have to prove anything anymore. I'll never have a great relationship with her, maybe. I wish I could, because I know I was wrong most of the time, but I wasn't the only one. How do you come to a decision of what you need to change and what you need to let go of? That's a really good question. I had something come up recently that somebody really got under my skin and pushed my buttons. And, you know, I didn't uh, think through it in advance and come up with what it was I was going to do. I I reacted. Um, Now, like Sam said a minute ago, you recognize it fairly quickly. So I recognized it and I didn't stew over a whole for a very long time and I did call my sponsor afterwards and talk with well you're my sponsor yeah. so I, I called you yeah. and I remember that phone call and I was so angry I was just pissed off and I was more pissed off with myself and the way I reacted to the situation I wasn't angry at the other person mm-hmm. Then you suggested praying about it and writing about it 
and that was helpful to write down what it really was because it wasn't that instant. It was something in my past that caused that reaction and to, to, to try to then go back in the past and recognize what that is and let that go, that's where I could have some growth because if I don't recognize where it's coming from, I don't really, it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And how do I just let the same thing over go over and over and over again? I had to get to the root of the problems and then try to let that go. Someone told me that 90% of my reactions to, of my reaction to what someone else is telling me, 10% of it is what they are saying and what their, their feelings are and what they're trying to put forth. And 90% of it is my reaction to it. And I, and that's a real trap because I can react to it. Like two people can react to the same thing in entirely different different ways. If I have been, this is something I learned from doing inventories. One of the things that I did a little bit of was stealing, I can say now. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to get a, a, a nice paragraph as to what that was as opposed to just the word stealing? <laughs> well, I wouldn't have called it stealing. <laughs> And I was describing the behavior to my sponsor, like, for example, cadmium red paint. I'm a painter, and I'm an artist. I deserve this. And I deserve cadmium red paint. And it is ridiculous how much they charge for cadmium red paint. Cadmium colors are really expensive. And I couldn't afford that. I'm a poor artist. So I was justified in taking it. And he said, so you're a thief. (laughs) I went, what? Uh, Yeah. He said, taking things that belong to other people and don't belong to you, that's that's what a thief does. (laughs) Well, when you put it that way. (laughs) If you're going to nitpick. If you're going to nitpick. But... I lost my train. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I got so you. One of the things that I, I learned from some folks in, uh, in in recent years is the pause. You know that thing that it says in the book that we pa- when agitated we pause and pray for the right thought or action. I never had that pause. That was, oh no, I didn't have that available to me. Uh, and it's one of those things that a friend in recovery told me that the pause comes from meditation. I have found that to be true. When I have been regular in a practice of meditating, I actually have the ability to not react instantly to what's going on that I don't like in particular. And instead, I can breathe for a moment. I I don't have to respond immediately. And that gives me that pause gives me that chance to check, hey, one of those character defects about to pop up here? And then I can choose. Run the serenity prayer through it. You can't sure. do it if yeah. you're if you're in your emotions. Yeah. You have to have a, that pause there. So what was it you forgot, Don? It was so I'm a thief. And so if somebody else did not ever steal anything, I feel like 
with you, Sam, I don't, you, you've never stolen anything that maybe you have. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> Steve's the choir. Well, here. Steve, you never stole. I got things. caught when I was 13 shoplifting. So I, yes. Okay. Well, suppose there was a person who never stole anything and someone said, you're a thief. Then they would react with, Oh, that's ridiculous. I mean, clear. I'm not a thief. Never stolen anything at all. Someone who is guilty hears the word "you're a thief" and goes, "I am not a thief," and they start defending that point. Indignation, indignation, rage. It's like you will not call me a thief. Well, you know, if somebody throws salt on you, it only burns in places where you're sore. Ooh, Confucius say. So. <laughs> I don't know if Confucius said it, if somebody told me that. I heard it from Dick Not Don. <laughs> Dick Not Don rears <laughs> his head again. <laughs> so if it, it needs to sting. It needs to sting for me to get defensive about it. Hmm. And my reactions, it is good for me to look at my reactions to what is going on, like you were saying, Steve, because that's what 90% of what I, my response to what has happened here you know, is based on all the stuff that's inside of me. That was where I was. I'm glad you brought up the salt and the wounds because that's exactly what I found when you asked me to do some writing and find what is it that you're really afraid of. And it goes back to my childhood and the wounds that I had and when attacked, my response is to react violently and get really upset. Mm -hmm. um, and those things also drove my relapses and my drinking. When I felt those, and I would react by easing that frustration by getting freaking hammered. I don't want to feel this anymore. But it would always pop back up again. Um, so until I learned to really look at things, understand where where I was, and have direction from people like you and other sponsors I've had to look at my part and understand it, where does it come from, what's the fear that's driving it, because that's really what it boils down to. When I have a reaction that strongly, there's fear involved. Can you remember a, t a time the last time that you came in, this time that it took, where you uh, found yourself in a situation and went, uh, I need to react differently, or you realized, oh, I'm reacting differently. I'm doing something different than getting drunk. I, I recall a couple of times thinking of that part of the big book that I mentioned earlier, the mm -hmm. actor, and I, when I would start to get angry at someone for not doing what they were supposed to do. And my typical response was anger and then followed by drinking. Well, I found a way to laugh and go, well, there I go again. You know where this takes you, Steve. Next thing you know, you'll be drinking a bottle and then you'll be drinking two bottles. Then you'll be smoking joints and on and on we go. Now, might get lucky enough to get back to AA again. 
maybe not. So I laughed and said, here we go again. I don't remember exactly what it was that made me react, but I remember the response. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool that you don't remember what it was that made you react. I mean, that's one of the things for me is there were, there were so many things that would piss me off yeah. that are just stupid. There's no reason for me to remember why what I was pissed off about. It was that little. Most things I got really pissed off about were exactly that. Little one-time things. Mm-hmm. The way my daughter looked at me. Yeah. <laughs> she rolled her eyes and said, whatever. You know, every time Don does that to me, I just, uh, maybe, well, you know. <laughs> Stop it, Don. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> oh, I hate that word. Whatever. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I remember one in particular. Maybe this will jog a memory with with either of you. I'm a painter. We do faux finishes. We use oil rags. And I had told all the painters that my employees, whatever we do, take the oil rags and lay them out on a drop cloth and we'll let them dry that way. Don't stuff them in a can. And I came up, and all the oil rags were piled together and stuffed in a can. And I was like, I was so angry because what they had done was make a bomb, Mm -hmm. you know, unintentional. But we had talked about it many times. It's a serious issue. You can have, I could burn down a a furniture showroom or something. So I I was so angry that I was going to do my usual thing of completely explode and start blessing everybody out. And I went, you're angry. This was totally different. (laughs) I went, what my thought was when I saw him was, you're angry, you need to pray. And so I spread out the rags, then I went outside, sat down at the railroad by myself, asked God for help, calmed down, went back up, and explained what the problem was and said, here's, here's what happened, and here's what would happen if, it hadn't, if we had left it that way. Would, they would, these rags would have caught on fire. We can't do that. It's really serious. It was so much more effective than the screaming fit that I would have had because they took it really seriously, and my behavior changed. So, I mean, I, it was, I remember that as being like, this is weird. I'm going to go pray <laughs> because I'm angry. But that's what they're telling me to do. I'm going to go do it. And I went and did it, and it worked. Well, when you suggested that I re- uh, write some things down around that last instance I mentioned, it worked. I calmed down. As soon as I was writing down and I talked with you and I talked with my wife and the next day, I wasn't angry anymore. I knew my part, which wasn't much of a part, but I knew that I was angry and was beating myself up for allowing him to make me angry. So it's really cool when you see that it, it works, these suggestions or these things people tell you to try to do, and it works, and wow. <laughs> yeah. You mean listening to people? Taking suggestions, following <laughs> guidelines. I never did that. 
I made my own rules. Well, I liked also that you um, mentioned earlier about not um, necessarily joining in on the fight. Uh, one of the things that I've done with uh, with guys I've sponsored is, you know, I'll, I'll be sitting there with them talking, and I'll take a piece of paper or, or whatever's handy that's not going to hurt them, and ball it up and throw it at them, and almost invariably they catch it. And I ask them, why did you catch that? Well, you threw it to me, or you threw it at me. And it's like, but you could, it, it, it could have just bounced right off of you. It wouldn't have hurt you. You don't have to catch everything that's thrown to you. Oh, God, Sam. Just don't, and like, it, fight your reflexes. But it, but it really does. It, it makes a point. Yes, uh-huh, I see it. I and... See it. You know, and so that's, I mean, it's just one of those things of that awareness of just because somebody is throwing something my way doesn't mean I have to catch it. And uh, you may be right is one of the best (laughs) phrases I have ever learned because it will so disarm someone who is, I see what you're doing. (laughs) I just got nailed by Don for a piece of paper. Um, but uh, you may be right, so disarms someone, and it gives them that sense of, of, well, he's listening to me. No, me saying you may be right is saying, no, you're really wrong, but you may be right, but I'm not going to invest any time in dealing with this with you. Uh, I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to continue to fight about exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, it's a big deal. Coming to the, the, the awareness thing, though, of, of when did my behavior change in a situation, um, it's, it's very much around what you were talking about, about the actor being the director type of thing. You know, when I got the clarity that, you know, one of the reasons I'm not qualified to be the director is because there's a shit ton going on that I don't know anything about. And so I don't know why people are doing things the way they're doing. I don't know what's going to come next. I, you know, I, I love a phrase, my God can see around corners. That kind of gets that. I was driving because road rage is one of my worst ones, and people are idiots. And then the worse my spiritual condition, the bigger idiots they are. Uh, I was driving, and this, this, this person almost came to a stop to make this right turn that you know, you could have taken on two wheels easily. And I was so pissed off. It's like, damn it, would you... And then the next day, I don't know what I had in the car, but I had something in the floor passenger floorboard of the car that would have tipped over if I took a, a turn fast. And I took the turn slow, and I was holding on to... And I'm like, oh. Who and knows that what they were doing. That type of thing gave me that moment of awareness of... I don't know what is going on necessarily. It's not all about me. Yeah, they may have just been released from the hospital and had surgery like like me not too long ago. And the drive home was, I kept telling my wife, go a little bit slower. Because every time she would put on brakes or we'd hit a, the tiniest bump in the road, it was like, oh, oh, oh. I've been there. And yeah, that was me behind you blowing the horn and yeah. crazy. Just cussing. <laughs> Let go. One other thing that involves letting go, uh, I remember an old-timer in AA um, would tell me, Steve, acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it. It just is. And that was important for me to recognize, too. Um, 
when things weren't going the way I had written them out, my expectations weren't being met, I could accept it. I didn't have to like it Um, because there were a lot of situations I didn't like. And that's where I I learned a lot from her, just the kind of gruff way she said it, too. (laughs) She's just like, well, Steve, you know, acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to agree, but you, you need to decide whether you can affect a change. And if you can't affect a change, acceptance is the key. Steve, what's uh, that's what's something that happened at some point in your recovery that was pivotal that you think back on and go, that was a pivotal pivotal moment? I think one pivotal moment for me in recovery was uh, becoming a sponsor for someone. That was, um, I, I had been around AA for many, many years and never had gotten to the point of sponsoring somebody. But that taught me a lot trying to sponsor somebody else in recovery and to help them. It made me accountable. It taught me a a whole lot, and I feel like I really grew from that experience. Now, he didn't stay sober, but I thought he was sober. Uh, I think he was sober for about a year, and then he was drinking while we were meeting for the next year, but uh, that doesn't matter. The point is, is I was there and we met on a regular basis and I was reading in the big book and it made a big difference for me. I had a guy ask me to sponsor him. Newcomer just walked in off the street. I had three months and I said, no, I've only got three months. I can't do it. I told my sponsor that and he said, you know how to stay sober one day at a time, don't you? He didn't. He. I was expecting him to go. You're right. You're you're too new in the you program. Yeah. No. No way. You should be sponsoring. You don't have it together enough to be able to do that. And he was going. No. You know how to stay sober one day at a time, don't you? If somebody asks you to sponsor him, you can say yes. You know. And it, I would have got that experience you talk about, Steve. Well, I think it's one of those things that in, in situations like that, someone with three months of sobriety can seem incredible. But believable, right? To someone who's brand new, sure. Versus someone with thirty years of sobriety, that doesn't seem real. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. But I think that in those situations, it is so incredibly important that grand sponsor comes into play too. So that you know, you at three months, Don, sponsoring a, a, a newcomer, that your sponsor is heavily involved in that situation. Which would have been the case. That's yeah. what he was that he knew that. That's what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the the fellow I was sponsoring had a lot in common with me. I only I didn't have but a maybe a year sober at the time. And uh, one of the things I shared about in meetings that he had in similar views is not really comfortable with this whole God thing, you know, and, and he didn't have a belief in a higher power. And I expressed my lack of belief and then how I came to believe in something. Um, and so he wanted to talk to me more about that. And then after we had had a conversation a few times, then that's when he asked me if I would sponsor him. Cause I told him it was, really pretty important that I came to a place that I'm okay with it. And 
So that that was pivotal. 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 <laughs> I like pivotal. that. <laughs> Is that's kind of a cross between pitiful <laughs> and pivotal? <laughs> pivotal. <laughs> I didn't have my uh, my first sponsee that stuck uh, until I was four years sober. I had mm, three, I think, that were like asking me about sponsorship because. You know, we come in the rooms and we're supposed to do that type of thing. But they were gone in, like, no time. Like, two phone calls and never hear from them again type yeah. of thing. Or wouldn't show up for uh, sponsor meetings and stuff like that. And But at four years sober is when I um, had my first sponsee who is still sober today. And it is amazing what you get from being a sponsor. It really is. I mean, that's made a big difference. I'm, I was telling Don just the other day, I was meeting with my sponsee and reading in the big book, and we were talking about the eight step, ninth step coming up, and just getting back in the book and reading and discussing it with him, it just it helps me so much. It may help him. I hope it does. But it really did help me quite a bit. It keeps it real. It really does. Well, that and then just for me to take someone through through the material and through the steps reinforces it that much more in me. It completely reinforces it. Yeah. It you can't uh you feel bad about telling someone that they need to do their morning prayer and meditation when you <laughs> haven't been doing it yourself. That's right. It does make <laughs> you step up your game. It makes it? you step up your game. It does. It really makes makes you work. I was talking on the phone one time to a sponsee, and it was back in the days when the, it was a wall phone and it was a cord, and so I just sat down on the floor because the conversation was going on and on. And I was sitting <laughs> on the floor in the kitchen talking on the phone to the sponsee and going, well, you know, there's, there's things that you can't change, and you sometimes you just have to let go and as hard as it seems, and as crazy as it seems, it's useful to let go of it and quit fighting it. And my wife walked into the kitchen as I was saying this. <clears throat> and we had just been having this conversation about something going on in my life that was a big blow up. And I was all upset about it. And she was like pointing at me. I was going, <laughs> you need to let go. And she's pointing the finger. and She's walking around. I was going, oh, I'm saying what I need to hear. Oh, yeah. And it's really cool whenever a sponsee repeats something to me, you know, a year later right. that I said, and I'm like, wow, where'd that come from? You told me that. <laughs> right. It's really cool how this stuff works. I had a sponsor at one point that was, uh, we were talking about a relationship. I was questioning whether I should be in or not and didn't know what quite what to do. And he would say, well, Steve, I'm sure whatever it is you decide to do, you might learn something from it. And so I got to repeat it back to him a year or two later <laughs> when he was struggling with the relationship and trying to figure out what to do. And I said, well, I'm sure whatever it is you decide to do, you might learn something from it. And those those things are pretty funny when when sponsor or sponsee kind of come back and forth like that. It's... It is indeed, but I love that you said that too, because it it takes us to that place where you know, as a sponsor, 
you know, I'm, I'm there to help a sponsee work the steps of this program. That's the primary thing that I'm there for. I'm not a life coach. That's right. Um, I'm not going to give you relationship advice. You know, you really ought to leave. You know, wh- whatever. I mean, I, that's not what I'm there for. I'm there for you to to call on to put in a check on yourself, so to speak, but also to take you through the 12 steps. And I kind of can can be that objective party that can help you see your stuff when you're in it. So I, I get so tied up in what's going on with me that I, I have I have blind spots. I'm you know and my sponsor and trusted friends in the program. That's a, that's a good yes. thing too. Sponsor and trusted friends. Sam, you know, really you might look at this. This nope. is what this looks like. This is you know, you did this the same way two years ago. That kind of thing. One of the things too I, I've had sponsors do that when I was struggling with something, they would point to a place in the book and say, well, now, it says here on page 69, now what about sex? And all the answers are right there. What should you do? And if it's really troublesome, put yourself more into service and helping somebody else. Take Um, even longer walks. Take even longer walks. Do all these other things. And so they're not making it up. They're pointing to where it's presented in the book. And it's worked for others before. Why might it might work for me? Yeah. Sponsorship is not psychology. It's it it's using the material that we have in Alcoholics Anonymous to help another alcoholic. Yeah, I, I know this fellow that used to spout in the meetings all the time how no one was qualified to be his sponsor and he just really didn't believe in sponsorship and uh, I, I thought he really missed out missed missed the boat um, because sponsorship has helped me a lot people pointing out to me what the steps meant to them and how they worked they weren't telling me what to do and how to do it and when to do it they were just sharing their life with me and how the steps help them get sober. Yeah. As a sponsor, I I can share what happened to me and what I did and ask questions, Mm -hmm. asking questions. is. At one time, I wanted to change sponsors. I felt like I needed to change sponsors. Maybe I should say I was concerned with the sponsor that I had and that I needed to get another sponsor and I was like, but I don't want to hurt his feelings and I don't want to, don't want to change and really everything's okay. And I was talking with a trusted friend in AA and he said, well, why don't you write an inventory and I'll listen to it and just examine it and write down, you know, all the pros and cons before you start, ask God to direct your thinking and write down everything that comes up about it. And then we'll talk about it. And we did, and I wrote it out and talked to him, and he asked questions to me each time. This was a guy who, at the time, had had 10 years sobriety more than I did, and it was beautiful. All he did was ask me questions, Mm -hmm. and by the end of it, I knew what I needed to, to do, and I knew exactly where I stood on it. So the process of going through the inventory worked, but it didn't work by finding somebody wise to tell me what to do. 
Sponsors are not sages. Yeah. It was it was just reflection. Point me back at myself and help me think through and help me take a look and ask questions like, what's that up in the sky flying around? And now it's <gasps> swooping down lower. Steve, and watch out. That was close. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? I'm calling you an old timer. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Don't call me Sonny. Sonny? <laughs> you know, your voice gets a little older every time you do every that. Every time. I know. <laughs> this, this guy is now about 89 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm okay. I think I'll last through the question. Have a sip of coffee, old timer. If you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. Well, we have a question that uh, that actually turns out to be really perfect after uh, some of some stuff that was uh, shared earlier. So Willow in Michigan asks, God, in quotes, all over everything freaks me out. What's up with the G word? Whew. That's a good one. Tell us about the G word. <laughs> the Dick G- not Don. The G word. The way I felt when I came in to my first meeting in AA, and the first meeting that I went to, they read the long form of the how it works. Mm-hmm. And it came to the part that said, that one is God. May you find him now. Now, 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 now. That's exactly the way it sounded to me. And I was going, oh, no. Grab the sides of the chair. <laughs> and I was expecting uh, Jim Baker to jump out. Were you going to get smacked in the head? Yeah, and, you, you know, <laughs> Tammy Faye <laughs> to come out and so or tent revival, all the stereotypical ideas of what Christian prosperity. I felt that AA was full of Christianity and that they were going to be begging for money and trying to get all my money from me and that, you know, what is really going on here with AA? It looked a little suspiciously Christian to me, and I was completely anti-Christian. I grew up as a Methodist, and I turned away from it. I thought the whole thing was full of hypocrites, and I was fond of saying that religion was the cause of all of the wars and disaster in the world, and I'm not having anything to do with it. You walk into AA, and you see God everywhere, and I was against it. And I ran out, and I immediately started trying to find some other way to stay sober. Unfortunately, I had spent years trying to stay sober, and I had exhausted everything else except for AA. I had done absolutely everything. I'd gotten into therapy. I'd tried alternatives. I'd, there was, I'd done affirmations. I had switched alcohol to be able to drink, control my drinking. Maybe, you know, if I drink only wine... And you can drink like I, a gentleman. I would be able to, yeah, be able to contain it a little bit. And then I developed an extremely expensive wine habit. And next thing you, you know, <laughs> I was an enthusiast and I had uh, 
was buying cases of very expensive wine and drinking them up in a week. <laughs> it, it, nothing worked. And I knew I was screwed. And I knew that AA had a way for me to get sober. I was absolutely sure of that because I knew two people, friends of mine, that I used to drink with that were sober in AA. So I knew that it worked, and I didn't think I had another option. And I think I got a sponsor, and I said, I just cannot believe this God thing, that this thing with God that's in AA. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I, I don't believe in it. And he said, well, do you believe that I believe? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, then use my God. And I said, I could do that. But the thing is, I the whole thing is, is I just don't think God is cool. It's you know, it was a, being cool was important to me. And he said, "I know what you mean." And we talked about that. He didn't ridicule me about it. Mm-hmm. He understood what I was saying. And he he gave me a he showed me a path from his experience and and he showed me the way he did it. And he was a drummer in a rock and roll band, so I figured he's cool. <laughs> I can do it if he can do it. I had to let go of the fight and just, I'm just going to do this. And, you know, I don't believe it, but I'm going to do it because it's like we were talking about earlier. It's the craziest thing in the world to think that, okay, I'm angry. I'm going to go leave the situation and sit outside of the building and pray. And something good's going to come of that? Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it. that's my experience. That has happened. But for me to be able to have that experience required the willingness to be able to sit in the rooms and listen to other people and hear their experience and see them doing it. And, you know, these people in AA are talking about this God thing. There might be something there for me. It certainly is true for every one of them. Who am I to say that it's not going to work for me? It's going to work for everyone else. And they certainly believe that it'll work for me. Do I want to get sober? I wanted to get sober. So I was willing to go to any lengths. The God thing is a big hurdle, but it's like... We've said so many times, Sam, it's like this fear that I, that's there, and it is a million miles wide and a million miles tall, and it's paper thin. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can walk through it. What about you? What do you think, Steve, about the G word? I didn't have a very good experience growing up thinking about God and what... God was how God was present in my life didn't uh, I guess the memories of that aren't very fond so when I came into AA I didn't want to hear about it I didn't like the whole God thing so it was very difficult for me to believe in God and I guess I had to get over the concept that I grew up with and just let that go away um, so I have a different concept and they said that was okay in AA to come to a belief that, of your own 
God. So I gave up the sky daddy God that sat in the throne with the long curly gray locks and white beard and told me what to do and how to do it and uh, came to believe in a different type of God that I explained is my concept of what unconditional love may be and that could be God. And I use the concepts I learn in nature quite a bit as God and, and just the way things work, whether you want to call it great orderly direction or good orderly direction or great outdoors or any of those little <laughs> acronyms, I can apply and think of it as, as God. So I think the biggest thing was for me to give up ever understanding and thinking I understand completely what God is. I just had to be open to the fact that there's something and it's bigger than me. I don't understand it all, don't know it all. And, you know, I thought about it. The people that I felt like acted like they knew it all, I never much cared for them anyway because I thought they were those hypocrites you were talking about. So... I got to where I could live with the word and thinking about power, that higher power, to me, um, is a verb, um, can be, and love can be as well. So um, that action is what I would hope God would be like, is to try to take care of someone or something or nature and be able to work with everything in it, whatever the belief is. It's all, all inclusive, everything. You know, and one of the biggest things for me, too, was to feel like I was a part of it. I was on top of a mountain one day. I, had, I was actually been on a backpacking trip and gone for three days and was exhausted. And I sat down uh, on my way down the mountain and put my feet in the water. And I was just kind of looking around and noticing everything, the sky and the sunshine and the birds and looking down and saw insects flying over the water and then I saw the fish swimming up around and then I happened to look down and see my feet in the water and realized I was part of it too. So that's my kind of concept of what God is. is it's, it's too big to understand, but it's pretty incredible. And how does that keep me sober? Ah, damn if I know. I just keep coming to meetings and talking to people and I figure that's part of that love and that I'm a part of it. And somehow I can stay sober doing that one day at a time. I've heard you share that about God being love, God is love, and using that to determine what to do in a situation, what's the most loving thing I can do, which I've always appreciated that. Yeah, that's... that's um, if I pause when irritated, <laughs> if I can do that, and then I'm trying to decide what the right course of action is, then that's a good one to help me decide instead of lining up the facts and having the evidence of what's right and what's wrong. Let me just put it in that simple term. What is the most loving thing to do? And that's a pretty good answer. You know, for me, the um, I grew up here in the South, born in 1970. I was a teenager in the 80s when the AIDS epidemic started. And as a gay man, I or gay kid at the time, 
I was a target demographic of Christian bullshit. You know, having grown up in the church, I had a good experience growing up in the church. Um, had fun, but when religion was used as a weapon against people like me, I was done with it. When I came into these rooms in 2003, I had been through a, uh, a training course three years before that reused words. They gave us this vocabulary that we used, but there was a new definition for the words that they gave us. And so in AA, I was really lucky that I already had this concept that it's okay for me to redefine a word. And I heard you telling your story, Don, and I'm guessing this was probably within the first three months of me getting sober. You said something along the lines that instead of saying the word God, you would explain what your higher power was, and it would take about 10 minutes, and that you got really tired of doing that and realized one day it was just easier to say God. Instead of saying the interconnected web of existence of which we are all a part, <laughs> each with our own perspectives, each with our own energy, it all fused together in some mystical... And now we're going to edit and stop you there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, easier, it's easier to yeah, say God. Hearing you say that gave me the access to saying, oh, I can repurpose this word. I can use it to mean whatever I want it to mean. And it doesn't matter what other people make it mean. So if I'm sitting here talking to you and I say the word God, you go ahead and make it mean whatever you want to make it mean. Matter of fact, that's one of the things that makes it work really well for us. Uh, NAA. Here in AA. But I know what I mean. And I don't have to convince you of what it means to me. That's mine. I identify as an atheist. So for me, there, there is no entity. I really resonated with what you were talking about, about being a part of it, Steve. That's a part of it for me, is that connectedness. So the G word, you know, there, there is absolutely no denying that there are Christianity roots in AA. It, it, they're there. And I can hear some of the stuff that we read in meetings. I mean, you know, some of our stuff, uh, there, there is, I can hear it with newcomers' ears, and I can totally hear the Christianity. Yes, it's there. But we are not a religion. We are not Christianity. We are not any religion at all. And we're not anti-Christianity No, we're either. not. No. Because Christianity we have no works opinion on for it. people. We have no opinion. Religion is an outside issue. I Alcoholics used to Anonymous judge, has no opinion on it. I used to judge Christians so badly. And at one point I'm going, who am I to judge people who are living? There are So, you know, it's like every person has their own relationship with God. And even within Christianity, people have different levels and different relationships. Mm -hmm. And there are loving wonderful Christians who have found a path to God. It's true. And and the reason that I continue to, to speak about Christianity and all this is that, um, you know, I never was attacked by anyone of other religions. Now, perhaps if I'd lived somewhere else in the world, I would have mm -hmm. been. Who knows? But my being able to use the word God to let go of the baggage that I came into these rooms with around that word 
gave me access to having conversations with people who are Christians as well as other faiths and no faiths that I never would have gotten to have. And that's in inside and outside of these rooms. My grandmother, a, a Southern Baptist, I remember years ago sitting in her kitchen and we were talking about my recovery, which she was so happy about, and we talked about God. And that was a conversation she and I never would have had before I came into these rooms because I would have shut it down. But we were able to talk about God and our understanding, our experience of God. And she talked about hers and I talked about mine and neither one of us was wrong. It was a really good moment. It's a great memory that I get to have. That's beautiful. And that's a gift from this program. So for me, the G word, yeah, I get it. You know, you come into these rooms and you see God, you know, up on the wall numerous times. It's mentioned so many times. Some of the not conference approved uh, literature is very Christian and uses God a lot and the Lord's Prayer and things like that. You know, I like the concept of take what you need and leave the rest. And that's something I picked up in here. And so today I'm able to leave the stuff that I don't need, the stuff that doesn't work for me. I'm able to leave it on the table and I can still walk away from Alcoholics Anonymous and have a design for living that works. I've got evidence of that for myself now. I've got a relationship with God as I understand it. And I'm sober. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted to be happy. And to that end, I want to share one more thing with you. Yesterday marked six years since I reset my sobriety date after doing the poppers and the diet pills and finally getting honest about that. So I can't think of a better way to spend a sobriety anniversary than doing that big-ass uh, general service event. That was pretty cool. <laughs> Congratulations. So, That's um, awesome. Thanks. There was cake there, but unfortunately, you Yeah, you, you know, I should have just like done a big to-go box of all those sweets and stuck them in the freezer. Yeah, for, just for let when them sit for two weeks. <laughs> well, thanks. That was a great discussion. The, the thing about God is that I think it's a beautiful thing in AA, and it's different than what I was reacting to with Christianity was a certain rigidity in other people telling me exactly how and what I needed to believe. Mm. And that is a path for people to find a relationship with a higher power, mm -hmm. with, with God. But it's not the only path. And that's the beautiful thing about AA is there, there is no one path. You go ahead, but what you do have to do is do the work. And AA is confident that if you will do your morning prayer, if you will ask God to keep you sober, or not God, higher power to keep you sober, then you will have the experience. And then once you have the experience, whatever that experience is, AA is confident you're going to have it. Then you name that God. And because that is God helping you. And Clarence, when I've I was sober for three weeks. I went to a speaker meeting, and he was an old guy who has passed away since. 
I went up to him after the meeting, and he, there was something about the way that he shared his story and his relationship with God that was very direct and very real, and I could feel it as being very real for him. Mm-hmm. And I went up to him afterwards and said, I'm struggling with this a great deal, and I really appreciate you sharing what you did on such a level. And he looked at me, looked me in the eye, and he reached out a finger and touched me on my chest and said, God will help you. And I just got chill bumps from it cool. <laughs> still yeah. because he was right. He was confident, and he gave me the permission to go ahead and, and do it. And then, of course, the pain of not drinking drove me to the point where one day it was either drink or pray, and I prayed to what, for me, was the nothing. And then I had the experience of staying sober that day. And I've been sober ever since. Yeah, you know, and, and in our opening, you say, we have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. How was that? That's good. Um, you know, it's the same thing about God. We have no monopoly on God, higher power, whatever you want to call it. We have no monopoly on it. If you don't like our approach, that's, that's okay. okay. Find your own. That's right. Steve, thanks for joining us on the Boiled Owl Coffee Club. This has Absolutely. Been thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I hope I wasn't too loquacious for you. <laughs> Don's looking up that word right now. <laughs> I think Steve's making fun of me because <laughs> I said that to him at one point. <laughs> Watch out! <laughs> that owl dives lower every time. You're teaching it things, aren't you? <laughs> Get it off! Get it off! <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.